All right. Welcome, everybody, to another uh, edition of Launch AMA. I'm joined today by Tony Blank of Agora. Welcome, Tony. Hey, good to be here. Great to see you, Sam. Awesome. So just a little bit of housekeeping before we get started, especially for, for the folks live. If you do have questions, please pump them into the Q&A section, and then I'll kind of grab Tony's attention as we're kind of just chatting here and, and learning a little bit more about each other. Um, but Tony, like, why don't you just get us started a little bit about your background, what you do, like how you got into tech and all that kind of stuff, the origin story. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So I've uh, been in tech for many, many years, but uh, I haven't uh, always been uh, building startup programs and building developer communities. Uh, my, my first gig in tech, I was actually the uh, least skilled full-time employee at Google, uh, where I, I built data centers. So uh, I kind of started off in the hardware side of things. Uh, crawling beneath floor tiles with cat five in my teeth, hiding six packs of beer in the cold aisles, you know. Um, and, um, you know, pretty soon I uh, realized that software is a lot more flexible than hardware. So I uh, picked up uh, some software skills. And, uh, and then at that point, uh, found, you know, startups are innovating and it's, it's fun to go uh, try to build some new stuff. So uh, that, that led me to software engineering and startups uh, until I, realized I'm not honestly that great of an engineer. Uh, like I, I, I miss talking to other people. So that got me into uh, community developments, uh, dev relations, B2D, go-to-market marketing. Uh, and that path led me uh, ultimately uh, to Agora uh, where I uh, am uh, privileged to lead our startup program over here, uh, where we uh, we're working to, uh, uh, to support early stage companies uh, building on, uh, on Agora and our real-time SDKs. Right on. So I know there's definitely a lot about that backstory. I don't actually, maybe I'll just dive a little bit deep into it. First of all, when you said the least, least qualified person, I thought you were talking about the janitor, but that that's everybody's dream startup job, right? Like they want to be that janitor at Google who got shares. Totally, 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 <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, like, were you kind of self-taught from the beginning or, or did you study any parts of hardware, software, or anything like that coding? Uh, so yeah, uh, self-taught from the start. I mean, I uh, you can you can probably tell from my office background. I uh, love music, music production. It's a hobby. Uh, the the first time I dropped out of college, uh, I was 19, and I wanted to be an audio engineer. So I wasn't even thinking about getting into tech at all. Uh, I ended up working in a recording studio in Atlanta for a couple of years. Uh, until I got disillusioned with uh, the music industry. It's about who you know a lot of times, all those stories you hear, a lot, uh, a lot of that uh, truth there. Um, and, and I decided, you know what, I, I love music so much as my passion. Uh, I don't want to uh, you know, feel beholden to do this for a career. I'm like, what else can I do, right? So uh, thinking back when I was in high school, which at that point was just a couple of years earlier, uh, I was constantly trying to upgrade my, my gaming PC. So like I, you know, I knew how to split, switch RAM out and hard drives and graphics cards. And uh, gosh, you know, looking in, in the paper, this company Google was looking for, uh, they, they called them uh, swappers, uh, data center technician zeros. You can tell Google's run by engineers because like they start counting everything at zero, including like entry level positions. Uh, and so, um, uh, that role was simply uh, walking around the data center and swapping out broken parts. But uh, in that environment, uh, learned a lot of network engineering and ops, uh, which kind of led me to Bash and then Python and software engineering. So 
that really got me on the uh, on the kind of technical self-teach uh, kind of bandwagon there. Yeah, I was reading somewhere it was it was some some mix of like Counter Strike or something like that that got you into it, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the the kind of genesis moment of all this stuff. I was in my uh, really crummy dorm room at Ball State. <laughs> And uh, the thing about like these crummy dorm rooms, so my, my roommate uh, was, uh, let's just say, um, he wasn't majoring in deodorant, right? <laughs> uh, and, and so like these rooms really are not that good, but uh, you know, back in like 98, 99, uh, that's the only place you could get broadband, right? It was dial up modems everywhere else. So, uh, you know, what did I do? I had my old gaming machine uh, that, was attached to a fat internet pipe at the time, you know, 100K per second or something, super blazing fast. And so uh, I could do like 16 player Counter-Strike games and I'd have the lowest latency ever. Uh, so th that got me into like building Linux servers. Uh, and I had no idea what Linux was. Um, the, the catalyst moment was my router broke uh, right before a big match or tournament or whatever we were doing. And I had this epiphany moment where I'm like, Oh, you know what a router is? It's just a Linux server with multiple network cards. That's all it is. Uh, I had that in my closet, slapped it together, built a router, uh, and we had the tournament. And I'm like, this is this is cool. We can actually build stuff with this technology and just you know to frag people. <laughs> all for the frag. Um, yeah, just kind of looking ahead a little bit, and I'm pop I've got your LinkedIn popped open, right? Like. Like you went from Google, you dabbled in a couple of startups, busted a couple of places, played some guitar. I'm not going to understate that, but we'll fly past it. Sure. Um, go went to SendGrid, which obviously became Twilio, and now you're at Agora. Like that's a lot of lot of different names in there. Like, could you maybe just describe a little bit about about each role and kind of like what you did at each place as, as you kind of I guess progressed in in your career? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I would say the story uh, of me moving from you know, technical operating and hardware to software to what I do now, uh, community building, uh, really starts when I was at ReturnPath. So uh, ReturnPath was uh, like an email data company started in 99. Uh, in 2013, they acquired an a email data API called Context.io. Uh, I was the first post-acquisition hire on that startup team. Uh, we operated as a startup inside of ReturnPath. And, uh, and that was when I learned, you know, what is developer evangelism? What is B2B? And uh, me and the other uh, co-founders of that startup, again, we kind of figured out what this kind of B2B stuff is. And this is like developer evangelism uh, and developer marketing. Uh, and, and that's what really got me on the, on the journey that led me to SendGrid. Um, what's interesting, you know, I joined SendGrid in 2015. Now at that point, uh, SendGrid was about, gosh, maybe 180 employees. Uh, really kind of at that, that mode of uh, leaving, um, you know, burning all those VC fun bucks and like, let's, let's try to see if we have a, a business or not. So it's like validating uh, all of our hypotheses on, on are all the parts of the business working and everything else. And so uh, coming into that community team uh, is really in that environment of saying, let's focus on the most valuable developers. At that point, SendGrid already had a lot of brand recognition in the, in the dev community. So we were like, let's, you know, how can we keep leveling up? So we, we started focusing on, uh, on the CTO, uh, thinking let's just focus on, on the CTO developers. And then uh, very quickly learned uh, that, gosh, um, the questions that startups have are not the exact same kinds of questions that developers have at Hackathon. 
response, right? CTOs know how APIs work. We don't need to go and explain what a request and response is or why you want to use a web service. It becomes more about why do you need email in your startup? Uh, not like how do you integrate uh, SendGrid? So that's really what led us to uh, building a startup program and a startup team and that whole startup uh, community go-to-market uh, method that uh, that proved successful at SendGrid and Twilio and that we're uh, gonna work on over here at Agora too. Awesome. So <clears throat> I definitely want to dive deep more deeper into kind of just the, the whole startup relations thing. And then obviously we we have a room full of startups here. So again, if you guys have questions, feel free, pump them in. Um, but but first of all, like before we get too deep, like I'm not sure if everybody listening is familiar with Agora yet. Do you kind of just want to give that 15, 20 second pitch about, about what you guys are doing there? Yeah, yeah. So Agora, we're a real-time platform as a service. What does that mean? We have uh, SDKs, web services, and tools for developers and builders to build any kind of real-time application. That's connecting a human here and a human here. Uh, you want to build a better Zoom uh, to avoid Zoom fatigue. Uh, you can use Agora to do that. Uh, you want to build a social audio app like a Clubhouse. You can use Agora's uh, audio SDKs to build those kinds of things. But you know, uh, real-time audio, real-time video, real-time messaging, uh, that's the kind of uh, technologies that, 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 uh, that we have and we can power up and support startups with. That's amazing. That's awesome. So, so we'll definitely dive a bit deeper in that, but I want to draw back to something you kind of just flew over really quickly. And I, and I know because actually my start in tech was also very similar to, to yours in, in developer relations and stuff like that. Honestly, I, I fell kind of into a role like that without understanding developer communities at all like I, I it didn't mean anything to me it was just another group of people sure. but but like let's let's go back into like you you threw a couple oh, a term out there I want to kind of dive a bit deeper on uh, b2d specifically I guess business to developers what what exactly does that mean and how is it like kind of different from b2b which I know there's a bunch of companies here that are focusing on and of course b2c which is you know much more relatable totally totally well you know uh, b2c consumer everyone knows that b2b everyone knows that B2D, uh, it's kind of like a, a flavor of B2B. Uh, B2D is B2 developer. So that's, you're selling a, a tool, a service, something that a developer will use to integrate and build something else with. Um, it's, it, it warrants its own category, because if you think about it, uh, who installs ad blockers? <laughs> right. Uh, who, who has headphones on and is focused on closing JIRA tickets and it's like, don't even talk to me and interrupt me with one meeting one time, that's a developer, right? Um, also, like, they're a different kind of a, uh, uh, like of a beast, right? <laughs> you know, uh, you have to talk apples to apples. Uh, and, and a lot of times you have to uh, have somebody who has that technical empathy uh, to really resonate when you're talking, uh, you know, marketing uh, a, a technical tool or, or service that way. So uh, this whole category of uh, marketing B2D uh, has really been, uh, when I say growing, it's, it's been huge for about a decade now, uh, but uh, it definitely has, uh, it, it, it's its own flavor of animal. Um, I, I would say that now with uh, the explosion of low code and no code, uh, I think we'll probably have to be re-examining this B2D title because a lot of these uh, companies that previously were solely facing developers are now releasing low-code and no-code tools where non-technical uh, product people or innovators 
uh, can build the same kinds of things that previously it took developers to build. Yeah, and, and as I'm looking in the comments, we have a no-code company here uh, called Pineapple Lab. So, so big shout out for them. See, sometimes if you come here live, I shout you out. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, they definitely want to chat with you guys. So spe specifically, like when you're when you're marketing to this, because for for Agora, for SendGrid, and and a bunch of the other companies that you may have worked with, like developers are your your customers. I don't even need to use air quotes. They're your customers, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the very first questions I have is is like, who are the decision makers that you're trying to reach to, right? Because because and I and I and I'm asking this question not just for for developer sales. But because we know, like, generally speaking, if you're trying to reach out to the developer team at, I don't know, Walmart, let's say, any, any company, right? Right? Like, there's a developer, but they might not necessarily be the decision maker that, that is designing the, the roadmap, designing the product, or has buyer decisions that can decide, okay, we want to use Agora as our platform or whatever, right? Like, yep. how do you guys kind of tackle that um, when you're trying to, you know, you know the user, but the, the customer is someone else? Totally, totally. Well... The, the, the thing that is like, it's kind of like, I think of it like a double-edged sword, right? Uh, where um, you've got this developer over here and, uh, and you're trying to talk to them about this service that they have. And you have to always keep in mind, and this is one of the reasons why B2B is different than everything else, is the developer you're talking to can build the service that you're trying to sell them, right? Like, like software, you can, you can do anything with it, right? So... The conversation, uh, ultimately, when you're talking about B2B, is really reducing time to market, right? Closing tickets faster, making your valuable engineers, your expensive engineers, more productive. So, uh, it, you know, that successful kind of sales conversation, in my experience, it does take this kind of two-prong approach. While, yes, many times the individual developer is not the keeper of the, of the checkbook, right? Um, the person who keeps the checkbook is listening to that developer, right? And that developer says, this tool is gonna, it's gonna be four points in the sprint, not 12. Yeah, I'm writing that check. You know, so, so that is why, like you see this explosion of developer community, developer evangelism and brand building amongst that segment of developers because uh, you're not gonna get the checkbook, that, that check signed without the developers having a positive experience with the product with the brand and this goes through like the whole process too not just with like is your developer experience good like your sdks are easy to use your api is consistent with its like technical responses and json and stuff right but your sales team like knows how to talk to developers and has that empathy and knows like at the end of the day you're trying to solve a problem and like and that's really it how can we help you you know uh that that really is the the best way to kind of go about uh the, you know, the b2b uh go to market strategies mm -hmm. would you say that that kind of strategy extends to even non-developer markets like like would you always recommend always a strong word um but would you always recommend uh selling to the user versus the customers presuming they're two different people you know, it really depends on like the, the devil's in the details, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I would say that, you know, obviously you want to put your customer on a pedestal, shine a spotlight on them, help them be successful. Uh, that is great all around. Uh, but with developers, it is like even more so. Uh, and, and the reason for this, I, I have a couple of ideas around this. Like, you know, if, if you're in a larger enterprise and it's a more traditional sales cycle or a less technical kind of a sales cycle, um, 
there's kind of like this known like vendor evaluation, there's a process, there's like an infosec review, there's a legal red line review, there's a whole thing. And it's, it's just, everybody knows how this goes. It's gonna be three months of a sales cycle and it's off and do an RFP and that kind of thing. Developers, it's like, I need to solve this problem now. You know, it's, it's no one has any time for that, right? So, so it really is like, you have to just, just give even more uh, because they don't have that Oh, it's going to be a month long. We'll have a meeting in three weeks, and you know, whatever. It's just it, it it moves faster when people are building. For sure, and specifically to Agora, I got a question here from I think it's Toby. Um, what kind of startups does Agora look to partner with, and does Agora invest in other startups, or what's that relationship like? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we absolutely want to support anybody that's trying to innovate and build in real time. You know, one of the great things and, and uh, that a startup program can bring back to the business is that customer feedback from innovators, right? So, so anybody that has any kind of a use case where you got a human over here and a human over here and, and they want to talk now, not async, not send a message later and get back to me, uh, we, we want to meet them and support them. Uh, so, so absolutely, uh, come, come find me and my team. Um, the question, if, if we invest, that, that's a great one. We're actually talking very, very seriously about that right now. Um, and that mainly has been uh, informed a lot from our startup community as well. So, you know, again, when, when you're running a startup program, you can kind of think of us like managing a two-sided marketplace, right? where one side is all of our innovators and founders that we're directly supporting building MVPs and products. The other side are our partner network, right? So who are our partners? These are VCs, accelerators, all of those good players in the Thorakin space that just like us are trying to support innovators so we can team up to go support the, the broader uh, ecosystem that way. Mm -hmm. And then and to kind of shorten it, you guys definitely have, I think it's, it's voice SDKs, video SDKs, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. So, so kind of to broaden the, the kind of similar topic, like, I, I think you hit on something, right? Like when you're a young startup and you're just starting out and especially if you're a developer and I have some developers here, so, so they can probably relate. Um, once you kind of dive into this, this hole of APIs, like you can get caught just trying to add like, oh, I want to put this in. That sounds good. This sounds good too, right? You kind of kind of get into this sinkhole of, of just trying to connect to a million different things. What kind of recommendations do you have like for startups to, to kind of, you know, take what's useful, but at the same time, it's like, you don't want to get distracted. Totally, totally, totally. So I, uh, I always like to use this analogy, uh, fan out and fan in. And this is kind of like a software engineering term where uh, whenever I'm looking at like a, a building a new thing, uh, there's that period where you fan out, you want to evaluate a lot of different options and then prune those different trees and fan back in. So, you know, I definitely think that uh, with a lot of different APIs and web services, there are a lot out there. Uh, and, and I definitely encourage everybody to look at all of them uh, when you're building. Um, certainly you wanna look at you know, product capabilities and features, uh, not just now when you're building MVP, but also when you're scaling, uh, that's one box you wanna check and evaluate. Second one is uh, again, looking at that pricing at scale, you know, make sure that this is something that's gonna be affordable, that, that you will have a business. And uh, that's something uh, that that is uh, the, that I've actually seen uh, at Agora and Twilio because there's a couple of these uh, communication channels that are more expensive and there's 
great innovative ideas out there, but if if it has to be premium forever, then that 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 can be a difficult business to uh, to hop into. So so uh, definitely be looking at that pricing piece. Um, and then the third thing is how easy is this company to work with, right? How startup friendly are they? Uh, and so, uh, you know, because you really, if you're going to integrate and build an API, you're hitching your horse to this wagon for the long term. So you want to make sure that it's it's a solid uh, horse or wagon. I'm, I'm kind of thinking which which one's which. You, you <laughs> want a solid everything, yeah. right? <laughs> From and obviously, I think you're going to have a a not bias, but you're going to be preferable to to different things. Um, but what would you consider like uh, an a solid uh, startup program? Like what, what does that look like to you from like, let's say you're looking for a tool. Yeah. 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 So, uh, that's a great, great question, you know, and, uh, from experience leading Sengrid's program and Twilio's program, uh, even coming into Agora, uh, the first couple of months, uh, I, I, you know, uh, coming from the startup ecosystem, I'm all about validating hypotheses, right? So, uh, so the first couple of months that, that I went over here and I started, uh, here, gosh, about seven months ago or so, so almost almost a year almost a year uh and um you know validating you know what what do startups need from an agora startup program and mm -hmm. and, and really uh, uh it, it it falls into you know help integrating and help building you know and again speeding up that time to market so uh you know, certainly you, we have great you know great documentation go read it but sometimes you need to just get that shortcut I only have five minutes. I don't want to dive in for a couple of hours. The technical integration help is great. Um, the other key component as well is there's this chicken egg cycle that every single startup has where you have to build MVP to get your product in, in customers' hands uh, and, and you intrinsically don't have customers. Uh, you probably haven't fundraised anything, maybe friends and family, but, but you have to build a thing uh, to then validate it and prove that you have a good business. So a startup program is uh, it should give you that room uh, to get that confidence that, that this web service is helping you. So uh, for instance, uh, at Agora, every single customer gets 10,000 minutes every single month for life. Uh, and what that does, that, that lets the developer integrate, do some basic testing, uh, not on the clock, not, not feeling like you're being nickel and dime and stuff. Um, but startups, they need that extra room uh, to find that product market fit. So uh, our startup program, uh, we give a million minutes uh, on top of that 10,000 uh, monthly minutes uh, that they have to use to find that product market fit to get that confidence. So a good startup program needs to uh, you know, enable uh, your customers to experience the full breadth of your product offering. Um, and then I would say a third uh, component, and, and we hear this time and time again from our community is, connections to the rest of the ecosystem. You know, uh, my team, we're out and about uh, more and more now, uh, you know, with vaccines, all right, awesome. You know, it's, it's crazy, we've been stuck inside for, for a year and a half, uh, but we're out and about, right? We're meeting people and, and, and meeting mentors, meeting investors, uh, that networking piece being present in the startup community is maybe one of the most valuable things uh, that, that I've heard over and over from founders. I mean. You know that one conversation that changed uh, how you view your current priorities can can be so valuable, and and that networking connection is something that um, startup program would be uh, remiss if if, if we didn't uh, want to connect our communities with each other. Yeah, like we we use HubSpot at launch, and and definitely the first question I whenever I look at any tools like does it connect to HubSpot? 
if it doesn't, then I'm looking at it later. Right. Like, yep. and, and that's not, not, not the pump hub spot. It's just, it's just where we are at. Um, but that's, that's, I think super underrated. And I think, I think another thing for, for programs is like, I think their documentation has to be clean. Yep. Um, like I think a lot of people overlook that they're like, Oh, just instructions developers are smart. They'll figure it out. Yeah. Yep. Developers are smart, but they build stuff to make it easier for their lives, which means they don't want to do more work to get things to work. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so like, like I, one of the reasons that I actually brought you on it and I, I find the whole conversation very fascinating is because of course, like your role is, is to try and reach out to startups as like a publicly traded company. Obviously you guys, I think it's what 200, 300, 400 deep. I can't remember the, your, your head count now. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we're uh, uh, actually closer to 800. Total. 800. Like I totally undersold that, but, but like, you're obviously a big company and your main role is really to, get reach out to, to, you know, smaller companies. Right. Yep. But from the vantage point of a smaller company, they're all sitting here wondering, it's like, how can I talk to the Gores? How can I talk to the Apple's Amazon's Microsoft's fill in your blank company that they want to partner with? What recommendations do you have for them? Not to just to talk to like, I don't think it's very useful if you're a startup and you, you know, you get to know the sales guy at Apple, unless you want more laptops, totally. I guess, but how did it get to talk to the right folks and kind of start to build those meaningful relationships? Like what should they be doing? Yeah, 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 totally. So, um, you know, I always like to think, you know, that, that, that kind of like docking analogy, you know, right. The same reason why like sales can fall flat, fall flat a lot of times with startups, is not an appropriate place to dock. Uh, same, same kind of thing where startups trying to dock with a big enterprise, you have to find that right, that right contact, the right, uh, the right place. Um, if there is a pre-seed, seed stage startup team, you know, like, like my team at Agora, that is, I think, the best spot to start because we, we do embody the voice of the startup internally. And uh, I mean, for instance, a good example is, you know, we, we certainly work with startups that are directly integrating Agora, but being present in the community, a lot of times a startup will come out and say, you know what, um, I've got some automatic, uh, translation AI entity extraction uh, plug-in tool, and I, I, who do I talk to at Agora? You know, my team's the best team to to catch that and make that connection uh, because we know exactly what stage a startup is at. We know the kind of of relationship and proof of concept they're looking for out of in Agora. We can help uh, set up that relationship internally. So, so I would say look for that startup team. But a lot of companies don't don't have that startup team. Uh, so uh, uh, second one, I, I would look for a corporate innovation or corporate development team. Uh, a lot, uh, almost every of the Walmarts uh, have that, that uh, one of those kind of large teams uh, and, and, and they are focused on uh, these early stage companies, um, less around acquiring customers and more around kind of future M&A, don't wanna be disrupted by the small players. Uh, but very much like an early stage startup team, uh, those teams do have a lot of empathy for the startup ecosystem and can help make that connection in a way that resonates. Mm -hmm. And then, so let's kind of role play a little bit. Let's say you're, you're searching up and you find Tony and you're like, okay, well, well, how do I talk to Tony? I hit him up on, do I hit him up on LinkedIn, send him a cold message and go, Hey, Tony, I'm Sam. Let's work together forever. Like what, what do you think actually happened or should happen? Yeah, so you know, I uh, first I I do respond to LinkedIn messages. So if anybody wants to talk to me, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll reply on there. So that's all cool. Um, but you know, I think with any kind of of, uh, of conversation like that, I mean, I always start with with empathy. 
you know, going back to what I was saying about like networking is so important. Uh, I think that my success rate when I get a warm intro from, from a friend to someone else, about 95%. If I'm doing a cold, like LinkedIn message or something, probably closer to 5%. So, uh, you know, I would really say, you know, do your research, you know, look at that organization that you want to make a positive connection at, see uh, who the right people are, and really work that network. Um, there's a lot of really interesting kind of shortcuts that, that you can take um, that, you know, are more around like uh, looking at local kind of startup community events, like pitch competitions. Uh, a lot of those players, like if, if you go down to Arkansas, like you go down to Bentonville, and you go to a pitch competition, you're going to meet Walmart's corporate innovation team, right? <laughs> like they, they will 100% be there. So uh, there's a lot of really kind of clever things you can do that way. Um, also, if you know the individual's name, just buy a Google AdWords with their name. Next vanity search, they'll be looking at your ad. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, I had a question there, but I completely lost. Oh, I was going to mention like, like at launch, we were big fans of double opt-in. I don't know if, if you're familiar oh, yeah. with that term, right? Yep, it's, yep. it's, and, and I'm specifically saying this for just anybody who's listening. Like you want an intro to Tony through me, for example, you want to make that cold lead a warm lead, like send me, you know, what you are, what your reason for talking to Tony is. I'm literally, I'm lazy, right? So I'll forward that email with say, Hey, Tony, do you want to talk to this person? Yep. And Tony will most likely be like, yeah, I'll talk to him, send it over. Or Tony can be like, no, I'm not the right guy. Go talk to Todd or, yeah. or whatever, right? Exactly. Whatever, whatever that conversation is. And I find that a lot more effective than like, you know, Hey, Tony, I'm Sam, right? Yeah. And there's, there's no context. And, and I think it saves everybody a ton of time. So, so this is a big tip, whether you're, you're in one of our programs or you're not, if you want to meet somebody, give the reason up front and make it easy for whoever's helping you to, to double check with Tony, right? Maybe Tony's going to go on vacation for a year. He's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. Um, so, so it's not a personal thing. It's more just so for fluidity of the whole process. Yep. Yep. That's, that, that's right. And, and also I, I, uh, I am a big fan of like a beer based economy. So, you know, if someone <laughs> says, you know, want to check out this brewery, man, I will, I will. Never. <laughs> we got to get you up to Vancouver more. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I've, I've only been to Vancouver one time. It was not even a work trip. It was, a, it was a, an Alaskan cruise, which is, I think, probably how so many people get to uh, see that. That is a pit stop. That is not a trip. <laughs> and, and uh, well, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, there's some stories that I'll share, but not, 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 not on this call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just, just kind of Along those same lines, I wanted to kind of touch base because I think, again, you have interesting vantage point dealing with so much video conferencing tech. Are conferences still effective to, to network and what we're talking about? And I think a part B to this is, do you, have you seen an effective alternative in, in this kind of post-pandemic world? Yeah, yeah, great questions. I mean, and so like, you know, really, really fascinating the last year and a half, you know, like running startup programs for years, having to shift everything virtual, right? Uh, tons of experience going and sponsoring and speaking at in-person conferences and everything. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I agree. It's, it's a different, different world. Um, the networking piece is, is tough, right? Uh, but honestly, that is one of the, if I could pick one reason why I'm at Agora right now, 
it, it was seeing all of the innovation happening a year ago from all of the founders that are saying, you know what, there is an opportunity here. Like, like this is certainly a lot of lemons going around, but let's make some lemonade and let's make this better, you know, and seeing, <clears throat> seeing uh, a lot of innovation around, uh, you know, simple changes to like a video conference format, like a speed dating or a, let's sit at a virtual table or simply adjusting like volume rules, you know, like here in Zoom, it's like one audio winner takes all, it's kind of how it works. And that is not really super uh, inducive to a lot of different kinds of conversations, you know, uh, and, and, and that kind of stuff too, when one person's rounding someone out. So, you know, seeing a lot of this innovation uh, is, is really exciting. And I don't think that we have it figured out right now. Um, what, what we're hearing uh, from a lot of our startups that are doing virtual events platforms, you know, their customers are the conference organizers. Um, everybody agrees that it's A, exciting that we're going back to in-person. Uh, B, everybody knows we have to do hybrid events. And if everyone's talking hybrid events, no one has any idea what a hybrid event is or how to, how to do it. Um, but uh, that's something that, uh, that we're very, very excited uh, to explore and to figure out and to probably put some rails around, you know, what are the best practices around doing uh, these hybrid kinds of events? Um, I don't ever want to go back to only in person. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying that uh, not just because I have a, a two-month-old daughter and I, I don't really want to travel that much now, uh, but seeing the kinds of inclusive events that popped up over the pandemic, uh, there were people attending startup events that were from remote parts of the world that, uh, that were telling us, uh, I never would have been able to come to Collision in Toronto, right? Uh, but I'm here now looking at content, networking, talking to people. Um, there's people that have health issues or claustrophobia, can't, can't go and manage crowds and everything. Um, you know, I, I really think that, that solving this hybrid events uh, thing <laughs> uh, and, and creating uh, uh, you know an equal experience uh, for people that are remote uh, and in person is something that that I think is going to be a, a great takeaway for, from the time that we're in right now. I think I think it's a fascinating space to be because I think the the easy answer is like we could in theory be doing this in person. Now I'd be in a fancy chair, you'd be in a fancy chair, and we'd have a live audience as well as streaming it. Yep. But I think that's that's not the whole picture, right? Because because we're going to be engaged with one group more than the other, right? Yeah. And the other group, let's say we're focused on, oh, a hand raising or whatever in person, the people online are kind of going to feel like they're locked in a different room, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of just spectating. Um, and and let, me, let me preface this by saying like, neither of us are completely agnostic. We run a lot of events. We do a lot of networking stuff. We have conferences. You guys have conferences, obviously technology and all that kind of stuff. But like, I think the, the other question I wanted to dive into is because like, I'm looking around this room and what's really cool about this session and I'm doing this live here, right? Like we have India on the line. We have California, we have uh, Africa, Iran, Colombia, the list goes Hong Kong. Um, like it, it's a crazy list of people um, that are just in this room right now, which obviously never could have happened if you and I decided we'd meet in Denver, right? Yep. Um, that being said, like for startups, and I'm going to use this term very loosely because I'm going to say startups are anybody who doesn't have a dedicated conference budget, right? So, so you know, whatever you want to talk about, like, is it still worth me traveling to Toronto for 
collision just gonna pick on them for a second no offense love those guys um but but because like you know i i'm a startup i i want to make sure my costs are low but at the same time i need to meet person a b c d e right um what 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 is the evaluation piece now for startups totally i mean you know right now i think like we we don't have that really good hybrid solution so nothing does really replace that going out there and and, and, and meeting people um I would go back to saying, you know, be strategic you know, with that networking. You can do some research. You can make sure if you're going to invest in travel and, you know, the biggest opportunity cost for you is time, right? It's not the plane ticket or the hotel, uh, or let's be honest, the hostel or the, you know, the sleeping bag or, or whatever, you know, uh, it, it really is your time. Um, you can be uh, strategic and know, gosh, you know, here's, there's going to be 20 people that, that, that I'm, I'm going to go meet uh, and, and, uh, and, and go in and hit those up. Um, I do think that, you know, as we figure out more of the uh, the virtual and the hybrid events, uh, I think that that that, that is going to be less less of a thing. Um, but uh, and I'm just such a big fan of of meeting people and and uh, and, and uh, meeting new people and making new friends. Yeah, for sure. And 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 like as you were talking, like kind of some kind of tips came to mind because I think some of the best connections that I've personally made have actually been at smaller events believe it or not right like yeah. like it, it's the different meetup groups i don't know if meetup is still cool because i haven't been outside in two years but, <laughs> but 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 like those smaller scale events i think are intimate to get to know different people but but overall i'd say there's a couple of things that you know if i was in a position one is have goals right like you want to meet tony like you know tony's gonna be at this event don't just if 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 you can don't just look at the speaker list right Secondly, if you're trying to just meet people and big players like the Amazons, the Microsofts and those guys, and even Agora, I'd kind of throw in that category. Like those folks are everywhere. They're, they have dedicated jobs to try and reach you, right? Like that's not the best use case scenario for if you're going to fly all the way halfway across the world to meet Microsoft. Like Microsoft is probably local, right? Um, and so, so like those kind of things I would kind of keep in mind if, if you're looking to travel and, and that's, that's, you know, Full bias still come to traction. And actually, you know, all our Maple members here that are listening, they do, they will get tickets to traction when we, we come back on. But I think that was something that we had in mind from the beginning when we built that conference. We wanted to have separate, like pre conference gathering socials. We call them CXO dinners and, and lunches or whatnot that are invite only that actually pertain to the networking so that we can, like, for us, like, our strategy attraction is very different. Like, we want to focus on the content. Um, at traction because everybody's glued to the seats. We got really smart people in the seats, uh, or sorry, in the in the stands talking. Uh, but but anyway, left enough shilling. <laughs> um, Want to kind of draw your attention to to a little bit more specifically the startups you work with, right? So so obviously you've I I think had a whole bunch of years just running startup programs. You've heard thousands of pitches. If I were to say like, what's the one that kind of stuck onto your mind? Like, can you describe that one? Gosh, I'm trying to think uh, of like a, an individual, like an, of a single pitch. And I, I've, I've heard so many that it's hard to like pick one out. Uh, but I, I'd have to say it's like, it's the, it's, it, it's the pitches where it's almost like Oprah gave me a ham on, on every single slide. Like you know, there's a car beneath my seat where it's like, you know, it, it, it's like, it's, let me show you the, the problem space, you know, and the tandem, And it's like, Oh, that's something I haven't even thought of. Well, billions of dollars. Well, it's huge. And it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, there's no way that you have the solution to it. And then, oh, 
and you already have a product built. Oh, wow. So like, you know, milestone check. Uh, and then uh, substantiating claims, right? It's all about the, um, you know, oh, well then I'm thinking now, oh, well, no way they have product market fit. How would they even do that? Oh, they've got 30,000 weekly active use. Oh, whoa, you know, it, it really comes down to that substantiating the claims and taking the, uh, the, the, the audience uh, on that story, you know, that, that four minute story, that six minute story, there's this, there's this, there's this, and this, and here's what we do, and there's all this data behind it. Um, it at that point, it's, it's, you know, it's like, I, I literally, I don't even have any money in my wallet, but I'm going to give you everything that I have right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's almost the best feedback that, that someone pitching can dream of is like, I'm not an investor, but I want to give you my 10 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's exactly right. And, and, and there have, uh, there, there have been a, you know, a handful of those. Um, I, I would say probably like the inverse, I think is pretty easy, right? The, 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 I, I, I'd say my least favorite thing to hear during any kind of a pitch is, is around the, like, I might ask like, well, tell me about your product market fit. And it's, oh yeah, we got it, trust us. Oh yeah, we, we got it, we, oh yeah, oh yeah. D done that first thing, yeah, done, you know? Uh, without really diving into the, the, the details and the weeds to, to kind of substantiate that, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, I, and I think, you know, in an ideal world, any pitch, like you, you have that kind of mental checklist. Like you want to, you want to have a meaningful problem. You want to have the product market fit. You want to have validation, but for, for startups that are kind of working on those things and, and maybe they don't have all the data yet, or they haven't, I don't know, done validation with 200 customers or whatever that magic number, whoever's listening to is, what do you recommend that they kind of put in their pitch? Do, would you rather they just be like, we don't know yet? Or, or like, how would you approach that if you were kind of trying to pitch something at that level? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of transparency, right? I think it's okay to say, we don't know the answer yet. Here's how we're finding it, you know? And because by the way, like a lot of that discovery, you need resources and you may need funding to get there, right? So if you can tell that story and, uh, you know, in a compelling way, uh, we don't know this answer. We're chasing this big can, this big problem. We just need, you know, two FTEs for 30 days to make a thousand phone calls or, you know, whatever that is. Um, if you have that plan and, and you can communicate that story, uh, that, that can uh, often be uh, compelling. Mm -hmm. And then along those same lines, because I think you work with a lot of younger companies, like, a common issue that I see is, is there's the, I'm just going to kind of stereotype these roles, but like the technical founder and, and the business founder, sometimes they're the same person, right? But, but for the arguments of this scenario, like, and one group is constantly trying to find validation and one group is trying to build product, right? I'm yep. sure a lot of the developers are, are kind of constantly running into this debate. What are the teams that are managing this stage best doing, right? Like, like in an ideal world, you get the validation, you build what your customers want. Da, 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 da. I think everybody's been preached that too, but reality looks a little bit different, right? Um, so, so what are you seeing that the best teams are, are executing on? Yeah, what, 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 uh, the, the kind of trend that I've seen lately uh, has really been leveraging a lot of these no-code, low-code tools to build like a very manual kind of happy MVP to get that confidence before you even engage any kind of custom tech stack. Um, that's something that's, you know, really only in the last two years, you've been able to do that uh, in any kind of a way where, where the product feels more like a product that, 
you think the feedback you're getting has has that validation. So um, you know, it, it really goes back to uh, to the kind of the fundamentals of customer discovery and, and product validation. Mm-hmm. So so I'm trying to read between lines. You're suggesting that prototype, no code it if possible, or or little code. Um, until you get those numbers that validate what you're building. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Until that becomes an unscalable, uh, you you have that confidence that that uh, yeah, yeah, we, we we can definitely go to the next level. Uh, I've seen a lot of founders just operate out of like docs and spreadsheets and kind of manually be be doing stuff uh, to to get that feedback. And you know maybe that's your first five customers, maybe that's your first ten. Um, you know a lot of times I have seen a lot of that more. Um, uh, kind of a visionary business-minded uh, uh, founder before they found their technical co-founder, uh, leaning on those kinds of tools too. Um, and I definitely encourage founders that are in that kind of a situation to, because uh, you know it's a huge blocker when you think, I got to find my CTO to start testing anything uh, when it really should be, how can I be not blocked by, by you know, needing my custom app to go get that customer feedback? That's going to help you find the CTO. For sure. And I know because we have a couple of hardware startups, sorry, there's some dogs barking in the background. There's a couple of hardware startups out there as well. Like, how does that differ for hardware, right? Because it's, I can't no code my way to this magic box, right? That I'm selling. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, with the hardware stuff, that certainly is difficult. Uh, You know, with the 3D printers, there's a lot of uh, more low cost, low uh, volume prototyping that's possible. Uh, and I've seen a lot of uh, hardware startups get some success with that. Um, it's also fairly affordable to do relatively low runs. Uh, so, so really just kind of moving from the, uh, you know, a lot of different MVPs, <laughs> uh, you know, hardware companies starting with a, uh, you know, like the software app side of things in a no code, low code kind of a MVP thing and kind of mocking and faking some of the hardware stuff to, to kind of get confidence on the UI and the, and the user experience side of things first before you do any kind of hardware prototyping, I've seen that work as well. For sure. And probably along those same lines, from the companies you've mentored, advised, even invested in or worked at, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people doing now at whatever stage? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would probably encourage, you know, from seeing uh, like SendGrid scale, a number of startup scaling, very important to focus on your company culture. And when you're making those first hires, make sure that you're hiring people that you want to work with long-term because uh, that is probably uh, the the biggest, but I, not to sound dramatic, kiss of death, right? When, when companies get uh, big uh, where they need to, to, to be firing all cylinders and moving very quickly, if, uh, if, 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 a, if a startup or team is operating in different ways, uh, not from the same kind of uh, uh, philosophy and perspective of how work gets done, uh, that can be the biggest drag on the business, even more so than, than, uh, than, than, than a lot of the other kind of more product or marketing related kind of stuff. So uh, focus on culture and focus on hiring is vitally important. Mm-hmm. And then for, for companies, and I think this is really interesting because I think you've gone through this a couple of times too, for companies that are scaling or expanding, right? Like they want to open a Colorado office. They want to open a New York office. They want to open an India office, 
right? Like, how does that translate over? Because maybe, because I think some of the scenarios that people are listening are like, maybe they have a company of 10 people, let's say, but now they're moving to Canada, they're moving to San Francisco, right? How, how do they scale that culture that whatever it is that they've created, knowing that, you know, new geography, not just work culture, but life culture is different. Totally, totally. Well, uh, you know, it, it definitely is challenging. I say, you know, it always starts with, with the hiring. You know, you always want to make sure that that you're hiring people that uh, that that are uh, you know operating from the same kind of philosophy. I think honestly, it's going to be easier now. Uh, you know, all of the you know, every kind of community team uh, that I've managed has been remote uh, by default. Uh, we have to be as founders and developers building everywhere. Uh, we can't only be in the San Francisco's and New York's of of, uh, of you know, uh, that's just not uh, not great. So if, if you're starting from a remote first, uh, focused on uh, uh, you know uh, hiring philosophically aligned colleagues, um, and uh, and you have those remote muscles in place, um, then uh, you, then then I think you're setting yourself up for the best odds for success. That's fair. It's fair. So we're coming up on on the the hour mark here. So if you guys have any last minute questions, please pump them in soon. But um, on your end, Tony, I know that Agora is running a conference in September. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So uh, September 1st and 2nd is our RTE conference. That's real-time engagement. It's uh, uh, really focused on the coolest uh, and, 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 and most amazing stuff that people are building in, uh, in the real-time space. So uh, it'll be a great uh, spot to, uh, to come to learn more about you know, the future of ed tech, telehealth, uh, remote virtual entertainment, uh, all kinds of topics like that. Uh, we'll be having a, uh, a pitch competition as part of it to start a battleground. So I will definitely make sure that, that y'all have all the information uh, around that. Uh, and also uh, we are still, uh, uh, I believe that we're still looking for some speakers. So if anybody has, uh, uh, you know, wants a stage to talk about, uh, you know, any kind of real-time tech you've built or connecting humans to each other, uh, we're definitely looking for, uh, for good talks in that space too. So uh, so reach out uh, and uh, let us know about about that. For sure, and and I don't think I can, I can. I feel like we've kind of understated Agora's technology a little bit just this entire episode. And I promise I'm not being paid to pump tires or anything like that. But but I remember when when Slack first got their kind of voice call in within their their platform and what like a huge deal that was. I remember when when Twitter pushed out Spaces. That wasn't even that long ago. Just a couple couple months right that's right and and what a huge deal it was and and agora has the power to basically put that on your app in what like a, a week a day i, I don't uh, know yeah it's a couple lines of code uh, uh yeah. we have <laughs> every language uh we actually just released uh, our own uh a no code uh, we call it app builder where you can actually build uh this kind of an experience uh branded on your own domain with your own uh, lower third logos, whatever you want to put in there, uh, your own kind of video layouts, um, and, uh, and and build that completely turnkey, uh, hosted one click on like Heroku. Uh, so if, uh, if anybody wants to kind of play around, you can build with that kind of stuff. Um, I, I will say, if, if I could sound a little bit like, like a shill, uh, uh, Agora really uh, has some amazing technology. In my background in audio engineering, uh, we have our own uh, like private network, that's where all of our packets are delivered. It's the highest quality, lowest latency audio and video. So, um, you know, just a, a lot of uh, really uh, interesting stuff there that differentiates it from some of the other providers. But um, I saw a question from David. 
definitely you can reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, and that's that's a great spot. Uh, Sam, feel free to share my contact information with uh, with everybody in, in the network. I, I'd love to stay in touch with everybody for sure. For sure. And yeah, that that you took my last question right there. <laughs> I want to make sure that if people want to contact you, they can. Um, perfect. This was this was a lot of fun, Tony. I really appreciate that that you could find the time between you know running a startup program, being a new father all that to, to turn your lights on and, and come chat with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, well, anytime. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, certainly would love to stay in touch with, with anybody. Uh, I, I'm very easy to find. For sure. And, and I think definitely for, for launch members, we do have some perks coming up with, with the Agora Startup Program. Um, so we'll get those to you shortly. But if you, want, if you want to get there faster, just let me know and I'll connect you to, to Tony and his team uh, stats. Um, Finally, I think just a bit more housekeeping. We do have another webinar next week for those that are in our, our Maple or Launchpad programs. Um, we're going to bring in uh, Adam from Zendesk to actually talk about fundraising. Um, so if those are topics that you're interested in, please, please make sure that you sign up ahead of time. And um, if you're listening to this publicly on the podcast weeks later and you want to sign up, it's just launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. You can find out all about how to kind of get on really cool AMAs like this live and not just in a recording later um, or, or lots of the other different perks as well. And I've just been told that our Agora perk is already available on Launch Hub. So, so you just got to sign in and, and tap into it. But I, I already have some DMs from people who want to reach out to you specifically, Tony. Um, awesome. So I'm going to make sure I'm going to get those over to you, Stat. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, excited to, to chat with everybody. And uh, thank you so much for, for the, for the uh, time today, Sam. I uh, always enjoy uh, chatting with you. For sure. And next time, we'll, we'll make sure to take you to a, to a brewery when you're in Vancouver or something. That, you're speaking my language. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks, Happy Tony. Going. See you. All right. Bye for now. Bye.